This is Back of House News, where we cover the biggest restaurant and food service industry headlines. This week, we discuss how to navigate contracts with third-party delivery platforms and where there may be room for negotiation. For more details, we go to Back of House reporter Grace Dickinson. Hi, Grace. Welcome back. Thanks, Claudia. It's good to be here. So we know delivery is absolutely booming still. And in the last couple of years, the U.S. food delivery market grew into a $150 billion global industry, which seems wild. And although dine-in numbers are back, we're still seeing studies show that consumers plan to continue to opt for more delivery now more than they did prior to the pandemic. So what does that mean for restaurants? Delivery has essentially become part of this picture of what convenience looks like now, especially as people have grown more and more comfortable with the technology during the pandemic. And so we know delivery isn't right for every restaurant, but it has become a necessary revenue stream for so many restaurants in recent years, and especially those outside of the fine dining realm. For operators that want to start delivery, this brings two options. You can either partner with a third-party delivery platform, or you can start your own in-house program. But that latter option, while we know it brings significantly more control, it also requires such a big upfront investment that can drain your time and resources. And it's why so many restaurants opt to partner with services like DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub. Even though those partnerships come at a fee, and often it's a painfully high commission rate that can range anywhere from 15 to 30 percent. Right. So I want to talk about those commission rates now. You recently wrote about what to look out for when signing a partnership agreement with a third party delivery platform, typically the first part of any relationship with a provider. And from my understanding, that agreement lays out the commission rates. So how often are those really negotiable? Yeah, so even before talking about those commission rates, let's talk about that partnership agreement. And I have to make the disclaimer here that our discussion is provided for general informational purposes only, and this is not intended to constitute legal advice. But most companies provide a standard formal agreement that they give to restaurants, and the sales rep is usually going to try to lead you to think that you have to take these as they come. But many times there is room for negotiation. Regardless, it's super crucial to read through these agreements fully and really gain a clear understanding of what you're committing to. And they can be pretty hefty reads. So if you don't have in-house legal knowledge or really simply the time to read through them thoroughly, you may want to hire an attorney to walk you through it. In terms of the commission rates, I spoke with attorney Jessica Yeshman, and she says that in her experience, the commission rates have absolutely been negotiable. Mm. But really, the larger of an operation you are, the more leverage you're going to have. Mm -hmm. So many providers may even ask for volume commitments, and this would mean you'd pledge to fulfill a certain number of orders per month using their platform in exchange for that lower commission rate. But even if you're not a multi-unit operation drawing mass customers to the platform, it's always worth at least trying to negotiate and bringing up that conversation. Right. That makes sense. It will never hurt. So from your research, what other areas of these partnership agreements show room for negotiation? So again, not every provider is going to be open to negotiations, but there are a few areas of the contract that you should at least really look out for. And for starters, many agreements call for arbitration, 
which means you have to use an officially appointed third party to settle disputes outside of court. And I spoke to attorney Michael Laszlo, and he says when possible, he always advises his clients to opt out of arbitration. The reason being is that with arbitration, the process for settling a dispute is often stickier and longer to get going. And that's opposed to just being able to go to the court and file a lawsuit on your own. Another factor to look at is how clearly the responsibilities for each party are defined. And that's for you as the restaurant and also the third party provider. So just for example, if a customer complains, is it going to be caviar or is it going to be the restaurant who responds? Or if a driver does something wrong, does that fall back on caviar, the restaurant or neither party? And those are things you want to kind of work out in writing in the agreement. Some providers tend to be a little more lenient in how they state those responsibilities in the agreement, in the partnership agreement, but ideally you want something that narrowly defines each party's responsibilities. And this is especially important because it will help prevent courts and also customers from implying what's called an agency relationship between the provider and the driver or the provider and the restaurant. Okay, so it's a lot of legal speak today for everyone, but I think this conversation is super important and that it's necessary. So I want to walk back here and have you define agency relationship for us. And why is that so important here? So in legal terms, an agency relationship is a fiduciary relationship between two parties where one party expressly or impliedly authorizes the other party to act under their control and on their behalf. But let's just put this into a more real world example. And I want to point this out because it can notably cause murky waters when it comes to restaurants and delivery drivers. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's say a driver assaults a customer the restaurant could potentially be liable to the customer for that driver's acts if there's an agency relationship that's inferred due to kind of the rest of the operator's interactions with the drivers. So it's very important for operators here to try to limit that implication that there's some sort of agency relationship when possible and kind of highlight that in the partnership agreement. Got it. So you also wrote about making sure there's an equal liability cap for both the restaurant and the provider. Can you talk through a little bit more what that means and its importance here? A liability cap is an agreement within the contract that limits the amount of money either party can get if one party happens to breach the agreement. Typically, these contracts are written so there's a liability cap that only applies to the provider and then the restaurant ends up being subject to unlimited liability. So let's just look at Mm. a hypothetical example here. Let's say DoorDash isn't providing as many drivers as it agreed to. And so customers are complaining and your restaurant is taking a financial hit. So you go ahead and place a breach of warranty claim against DoorDash, but the liability cap in your agreement is unilaterally in favor of DoorDash and that's equal to $50,000. So DoorDash will never have to pay more than 50,000 for damages. But meanwhile, your damages are $200,000. So in this case, you can recover $50,000, but you have to eat the other $150,000. So meanwhile, let's say two weeks later, DoorDash goes off and places a separate claim for an entirely different reason, but it's against your restaurant and they're claiming $500,000 in damages. It's a case that they win and you have to pay back the full $500,000 because the liability cap in your agreement only applied to DoorDash and that means you're stuck with unlimited liability. So as you can see, it really doesn't seem like a fair situation, 
And Mm -hmm. in reality, it isn't very common for a third-party delivery platform to sue a restaurant just simply because it's bad for PR reasons, but it can happen. And so you want to make sure you get an even deal from the start. And this means fighting to receive that equal liability cap. So is there anything else that operators should take note of when reading through one of these partnership agreements? Again, they're all a little different, and often it can be helpful to walk through them with an attorney or someone with some legal knowledge. And there's a lot to them, so we're not going to be able to fit in every area of focus into this podcast. But another kind of primary thing to point out is the insurance requirements. Mm -hmm. You basically just want to make sure that your current policy meets the requirements outlined in that agreement. And if not, you're going to need to make sure you have the, the budget to adapt your policy. One thing often required is cyber liability insurance, which covers your business from incidents like data breaches, and that can involve sensitive customer information like credit card numbers. So that's important given all of the phishing scams and the hackers that we've seen out there. Generally, it's a good idea to have this as part of your policy regardless, but a lot of operators don't. It can be expensive, it's relatively new, not all insurance carriers even underwrite it. So you may have to go out and buy a special policy just to meet these requirements. So again, you really just want to review your current insurance policy and make sure you can meet what's required in the agreement. And that kind of applies to the entire agreement. You want to give it a thorough read through and just make sure you 100% know what you're committing to before signing on, because if not, the financial repercussions could be very serious. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much, Grace. I know that this can be challenging for anyone to navigate, and there's a lot of legality here that we covered today. But Um, I appreciate the details and you coming on to talk about this. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Until next time, everyone. Take care. 